All right, thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of the Public Health Networker. We're here at the Ezra User Conference. It's really exciting to be here in San Diego. And today we are interviewing and speaking with Peter Noop. He is with the University of Michigan. He's a research consultant, and he's here to talk to us about GIS, data, and health. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure, you're welcome. Glad to be here. All right, so tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, things that in Michigan, how are things going? Yeah, so it, it, in Michigan, uh, I'm one of the uh, administrators of our RTS online system uh, and work with a number of folks to support GIS technologies across the universities and all three campuses. So everybody who wants to touch GIS, we try and uh, put the tools they need in their hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the three campuses? I'm sorry. So we have uh, Ann Arbor, Dearborn, and Flint. Ann Arbor being the main campus that most people are familiar with, mm-hmm. and uh, Dearborn and Flint campuses uh, also have a lot more uh, non-traditional students there, but a lot of the similar uh, access to GIS kinds of issues. And because we really see GIS across the university these days, we have oh, closing in on almost 9,000 registered users, and we have at least one GIS user in over. 80% of the departments and units on campus. And when we look across our degree programs, we see at least uh, one or more GIS users and over 90% to the degree program. So it's really become a technology uh, in the last several years. It's really not necessarily applicable to everything. It's always been that way, but approachable and usable by people without extensive uh, training on using the software, particularly as some of the more basic components of making maps and spatial analysis have become available in web-based tools like ArcGIS Online. Yeah, I agree. That's been a lot more helpful. Um, just having worked in GIS for almost 10 years, I still am not a technical person. So it's really nice to see a lot more of the web app um, new um, developments there. So tell us a little bit more about some of the work you've seen and some of the interactions you've seen with health data and why is GIS important? Hmm. Trying to think of a specific project. Uh, I'm struggling to think anyway specifically with okay. health data. Let's yeah, you can be very general as yeah. well. Yeah, these days we work with people all across the board from archaeology to zoology, and a lot of what we're focused on is bringing these web based tools and easy to use, intuitive uh, analysis tools and put it in the hands of fields that haven't traditionally used it. Um, so, for instance, we, may not, we often work with people who are dealing with sensitive data, and that does present an additional set of challenges because some of these web-based tools just out of the box aren't ready for that. Um, the one nice thing about the Esri ecosystem is that it also provides an option for installing a lot of this stuff on-premise, so ArcGIS Enterprise as opposed to ArcGIS Align, and that gives us the ability to install it on uh, hardware and networks that, and, and operating systems that meet the requirements for working with HIPAA data on our campus mm-hmm. or FISMA or other uh, controlled data. Mm-hmm. And so that really enables us you know, to get away from the tradition of you know, having to install desktop software and specific locations for, for health researchers to work on. Now they can uh, use these um, new tools and take advantage of everything that we, we see in the conferences like this for RTS Online, the web apps, the instant apps and all that, but are able to take use of it in an environment that is uh, secured for working with public health data. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really important consideration, talking about HIPAA, personal health data. And um, so 
you do also interact with some of the public health departments and the hospital systems, that sort of? Not directly. Um, so our, our, we have a very uh, distributed GIS, uh, let's say, support system on our campus. We have one email address and one ticket system we all share. Uh, being in the College of Literature, Science, and the Arts, I'll deal mostly with inf uh, information requests and GIS help there. Mm -hmm. Our School of Public Health has a, a GIS person, our School of Environment Sustainability. So there's people all around campus that are helping different people use GIS, mm -hmm. and we try to get together sort of our own grassroots GIS community of practice to help sort of coordinate that. Uh, these days, there's so much you can do with GIS and so many new tools and new capabilities coming out that it's hard for one person to stay on top of that. So I think one of our, our strengths at Michigan is working across these different units. So if someone in the School of, of Public Health has a question about a new app or something they haven't seen before and a researcher wants to use, they might reach out to our larger group. And if one of us had had experience with it, we can sit down with them and the researcher and do a bit of cross-training so that next time that kind of question comes up, uh, the person more local has that sort of expertise imparted on them. But yeah, it's it really takes a village to support GIS these days with all the different things you can, can do with it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I love the fact that you're talking about this cross-sectoral, uh, kind of interdisciplinary approach to finding GIS solutions at the university. I think that's really important. So um, yeah, one of, one of the things that I, I think helps there as well <laughs> One of the things I think that helps there as well is just you know sharing work that people are doing in different units. Just you may not know anything about archaeology, but seeing how they put a map together or a particular analysis they've done, that might trigger some thoughts about, oh, maybe I could do that with plasma center locations or something. You know, there's a lot of corollaries that you don't necessarily think about until you get a chance to talk to someone who's actively using the tools or, or see the workflow that they've gone through. So a lot of that sort of connections we try to make on a regular basis uh, of exchanging information and ideas and knowledge has really been proven helpful, I think. Thank you, I love that. The exchange of information, ideas, and knowledge. I think that's so important. And I guess I have uh, one last question for you. Uh, in the public health space, uh, we're still seeing that a lot of organizations are not quite ready. They're not quite using GIS to the capacity that they could be. Um, maybe you have some thoughts on why it should be considered? Why is GIS important? And why, how can we encourage more organizations to use and leverage GIS for health? I'm gonna answer that question in two ways and one sort of off the record to start with, that is my passion and that's what I spent the last two days at the Ed Summit doing, awesome. <laughs> is teaching workshops on this. I'm so glad I asked that. So let me think about this. Uh, okay. <laughs> So, you know, as these tools have become available, one of the challenges of making them available on a university-wide level is that you traditionally have had GIS just used in geography departments or maybe natural sciences or maybe just public uh, health. It was sort of siloed in how it was uh, deployed and distributed off campuses. And one of the great changes that Esri made, oh, five or six years ago was to make it much easier to get a institution-wide site license, an Esri Academic Institution license, scaled, of course, whether you're a small, medium, or large university. But that basically gave you enough licenses to deploy it to your entire campus. So you are now able to basically empower everyone in your campus with pretty much everything that ArcGIS offers as tools, enabling people to do all sorts of different stuff. 
Uh, one of the challenges of that, though, is once they were given that, you often were dealing with departments that you know, had small IT shops that knew how to support their own users, but not really how to do this at the scale of the enterprise. So one of the important changes that's been developing over the last few years is GIS folks beginning to work with their central IT services. So treating this like other packages on a campus, your, your learning management system, your uh, productivity suite, whether that's Google or Microsoft, uh, Adobe Creative Cloud, things you would typically license for the entire campus and make available. Everybody can use these tools, and that's you know really what we're trying to do with these GIS tools now, is put them in everybody's hands. Not everybody on your campus is going to use them, but pretty much someone in every discipline or department has a use for them. And so you don't want to put barriers in the way where they're having to reach out and ask for things. You want them just like they go in and open their email in the morning. And so by working between the typical GIS folks and the campus enterprise IT folks, you can hook them up to single sign-on systems, you can attach them to systems of record like your HR department and your registrar for the student information, so you no longer have to individually manage users, it's all taken care of in aggregate, which means you can now scale from 10 users to 10,000 users without uh, you know, interrupting your services or without having to hire additional staff to do that, that's probably the most important part, is the the, the making the license cover the entire campus and enabling ArcGIS Online to hook into these systems of record really makes it possible to do minimal effort, minimal effort to distribute these tools to everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right, thank you so much. Is there any last advice that you would give to someone who is curious about using GIS uh, and Esri tools, but um, just hasn't started yet? Yeah, part of the site license includes lots of training materials, uh, a number of which are aimed at that sort of self-taught getting started. You know, there's often intro geology, not intro geology, there's often intro GIS courses available to people on campus. It's often, you know, taught in a geology department or school of public health or school of environmental or geography. And those may not be quite what you're looking for, say, if you're in public health, but the only option is an environmental science course. The self-training that Esri offers to learn ArcGIS and Esri Training Academy include a number of examples of dealing specifically with health data. Um, and even if you already have some familiarity with GIS, looking at some of the more advanced training samples could be really helpful because they're very subject specific. And you may find you know, health things in there similar to what you want to do in your own research. And it's a good way to learn different spatial analysis methods and, and how to use different pieces of the software with familiar data and similar uh, use cases to what you might be interested in yourself. Right, yeah, there's some great training tools on the website, lots of resources available. It's just grown so much over the years. Yeah. yeah. And so, at, a, at a university, having that all included in the site license just means it's available to everyone. Mm -hmm. Right, so yeah, highly recommended for university systems. And um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure.
thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Public Health Networker. We are here at the Esri User Conference, and I just happened to run into Colin Hug here of Healthcare IT Today. He is the Chief Medical, Chief Marketing Officer and Editor. Um, it's so good to see you here, Colin. Yeah, it's nice to meet you in person, yeah, finally. Yeah, it's great to meet you in person. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and tell us about Healthcare IT Today. Sure, yeah. So uh, I've been in healthcare for 25 years, working at various health IT companies before joining the media side, which I've been doing now for the last five years. Really enjoying it. Healthcare's in our blood, right? As you yep. well know, April. Right. Uh, and yeah, so what Healthcare IT Today is, we're a publication that's focused on the app, you know, tech, uh, telling stories related to technology and healthcare. So we focus mostly on the provider side, so mostly for health systems and hospitals and clinics and kind of all the different technologies that they can use to take care of patients. So everything from EHRs to patient communication tools to cybersecurity to IT infrastructure, we cover all of that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I mean, that's a great, huge range of topics, right? And so today I wanted to invite you to the podcast because I wanted to talk about that critical partnership between public health and health IT and also clinical care. So, um, you know, recently at the same location, we uh, had interviewed some people from HIMSS, mm -hmm. um, the Health Information Management Systems Conference. Yeah. And uh, so some of the important things that emerged were, were a lot of the similarities between what we're looking at in public health and clinical care through IT. Sure. Um, so, and you know, we're here at Esri, we're talking about GIS today as well. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of the work that you've seen out there, some of the stories and experiences and examples of use, the uses of GIS for health IT. Yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's a huge growing area. I mean, traditionally on the, on the provider side, where uh, public health and GIS, which would be used is mostly on the population health side of things. But increasingly, as healthcare is now shifting more to home use, and people are wanting to be at home, and now we're getting to this remote patient monitoring world, when I mean, you can see that geography and uh, applications that allow hospitals to track their patients outside of the four walls of their facility, uh, it, you know, it's really taking off. And that kind of bleeds into public health, right? Because public health's focus is much more about community health and all the uh, social determinants of health and all those kinds of things. And so as we've been learning about here at Esri, there's definitely a geography component to all of this, that underpins all of this. And as, uh, as the founder uh, spoke this morning about, you know, he was talking about the whole, you know, geography being the common ground upon which everything uh, is relatable. So what some of the more interesting uh, applications that we're seeing here and that we've talked about is, is obviously tracking the COVID pandemic through geography, uh, also tracking the opioid epidemic that that's continues to happen and, and seeing what geographic regions that that's affecting uh, more than others, uh, tracking things like food deserts and uh, and also behavioral health deserts, right, where there's not enough coverage for those kinds of things. So definitely a lot of applications in those areas and just very exciting to see that happen. That's so cool. Thank you for the great examples and I mean sharing what we were hearing today from Jack Dangerman yes, this right. morning. Yep about what's going on with GIS and the power of location and how it is uh, something that is common for all of us. Um, I think, yeah, GIS is, I think the more even, I think as he works in this field, more and more how, how profound this is, right? All of the GIS uh, uh, work on space and place even, right? So 
Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes it is hard to, to blur the difference or to unblur the difference <laughs> between public health and clinical health, right? So, you know, as a student, we were doing a lot of GIS mapping of hospital readmissions. Right. The thing is, we saw that as a public health issue. Of course. Right? Because they were emergency room readmissions. Yeah. So there is still that, like, you know, we, we are working together. It is. To solve some solutions. It is. And certainly hospitals are very incented to solve that problem because, of course, their reimbursement is is uh, reduced when they're having a readmission because of uh, procedure or a health inc- uh, an HIE, right? A, a, oh, sorry, an HAI, uh-huh. <laughs> um, a health care required infection. So, yeah, it is kind of, uh, you know, working hand in hand with public health. And certainly... You know, the COVID pandemic has really proven this, right? How public health is so integrated to health in general and how the two sets of previously siloed organizations really do have to work together, right? When one ED is overwhelmed, can public health uh, be alerted so that they can direct people to this other side, right? Where, and so hospitals are even learning how to do this and reacting more as a whole rather than individuals. So yeah, it's pretty exciting to see this. And you know, incur- what's encouraging as well is hopefully from what we've learned over the last three years with COVID is, uh, or last two years with COVID is, is really that public health really needs to be funded a little bit better, right? Totally. And it needs more resources like technology to help them do their jobs. Right. And so what are some of your favorite, I know we shouldn't have favorites, but we do. <laughs> what are some of your favorite applications of health IT and, and GIS in particular? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, one of the more interesting ones was tracking the opioid uh, ap- epidemic and just seeing how it disproportionately affects certain parts of the city and, and how it did not run across socioeconomic lines, right? And, and you know, you, most of other healthcare can be easily tracked right back down to, well, you know, the poor areas have la- lack of access to care. And, but it turned out the opioid epidemic was one of the few that cut through the socioeconomic so that was very interesting just to see that. And so when you see it mapped out in stark relief like that and how it's affecting everybody, I think that's really helpful for city planners. It's, it's, it's obviously very helpful for, for people who are dealing with the opioid epidemic and, you know, to be able to know where to deploy some of those precious resources. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one. The other one I found really interesting was the one that was just shown uh, today by uh, Direct Relief, where they were able to track using relationship mapping the distribution of, of medical aid and who it was going to and how they were distributing it within the community. So they can actually really show that, you know, the aid that they were providing was affecting the individuals in this community, which was something that's not easy to track before. So I thought that was really fascinating. I mean, I'm always amazed at what GIS is able to do for, for healthcare. That's awesome. I mean, really, I don't see the difference, to be honest, between what's clinical and what's public health, to be honest. I I think we are working together to solve these solutions. So I think that's really great. And yeah, I think you're right with the opioid uh, epidemic or whatever we're calling it now, opioid crisis. Um, You know, I used to work in substance abuse uh, for LA and that is something that did stand out for the most part. Poor health outcomes tend to be like very much correlated or, you know, I don't know if correlated is always the right word, but associated with, um, you know, socioeconomic status, but with opioids, it's almost like the unintended consequences of over health, yeah. over, over health care, right, exactly. over care. Exactly. It, 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 what was interesting about the opioid crisis, at least when I looked at it last, it was that the people that were affected was very well distributed. What was more interesting and more telling, unfortunately, was obviously those who were in the more affluent areas and who had access to care, uh, their outcomes were better, 
right? But in terms of who it affected, there was almost no difference in terms of Sokodanka status. It was just more that, unfortunately, the bad outcomes tend to happen with people who don't have access, right? Mm -hmm. and, and again, you, you asked for favorites before. What I find very intriguing right now is um, mapping the social determinants of health things like food deserts and, and things like, you know, where people don't have access, ready access to pharmacies and so forth, and working that into the delivery of care so that your doctor would know, oh, you know what, if I recommend this specialist, it's gonna take you three buses to get there, maybe I won't recommend that one, I'll recommend this one over here where it's just on your way to work. And, you know, that kind of health now needs to enter our thinking, right? Because if we don't factor that in, that person's not gonna get that care and therefore gonna end up in your ED, right? Exactly. So, so all this has to be uh, worked in and, and that's where geography comes into play. Wonderful, yeah, and exactly, um, it's almost the same thing as um, where public health comes into play mm -hmm. when we're looking at clinical care. And so again, I'm seeing less and less of the difference between the two in this conversation. So thank you so much, because it's like kind of a, just a, a new way of thinking for me. I'm like, wow, I'm not able to like unblur this anymore. No, I mean, especially when, when you think about it, at the end of the day, it's all about patient outcomes right both whether you're in public health or whether you're in a clinical care your, your goal is to keep the individual healthy and out of those facilities and so it's only natural that the two groups would work together and that the lures the, the lines would get really really blurry mm -hmm. thank you so tell us um in um another way what are some of your other or you know some of the new current and um, things that stand out to you um, other types of health IT that's out there right now? Uh, well, unfortunately, one of the big uh, things that we're covering and talking a lot about is cybersecurity in healthcare, right? With, with the amount of ransomware threats and the fact that healthcare is known as a soft target. Uh, and because we'll pay, you know, we'll pay the ransom, right? In order to unfreeze un un the systems because it is life or death. So unfortunately, cybersecurity is something we're covering a lot of, uh, but, but hospitals are getting better at it. So, and that's good overall, not just because of cyber attacks, but it just means that us as patients will now have our data better protected, which is a good thing. Um, but unfortunately, it's taken cyber attacks to get there. Mm -hmm. um, some of the other things that are interesting that's happening, of, of course, is remote patient monitoring. I mentioned that before. I find that really fascinating because as the devices are getting more sophisticated and cheaper, it's allowing care now to finally reach places where before it, it wasn't possible. Um, again, going back to the example of instead of forcing that patient to take three buses or find transportation to go see that specialist, now through remote patient monitoring, they can be they can maybe have a telehealth visit, a phone visit, and then the doc can track what's going on because the patient's using these devices at home. Mm -hmm. Just checking to see if it's recording. Yeah, I think it's so important, the power of remote health mm -hmm. and how much more we can do. I think some of the bigger challenges are gonna be like across like, you know, mental health, even across those state lines sure. and across like geographic boundaries. I don't know what that's looking like right now <laughs> in terms of healthcare. That's a that's another. I mean, talking about you know now the the juxtaposition of policy and healthcare. That's one that's really going to be interesting over the next little while because during COVID, of course, you know we've shown the value of having healthcare available across state lines. People who are in one state being able to provide care for patients in other states, and now of course now coming out of it, now everyone's threatening to lock that back down. But with, at the same time, with the number of physicians and nurses who are exiting the industry, we don't have enough anymore to serve these areas. And so to me, it only makes sense that we allow docs to uh, treat people across state lines. And like, 
is a health, is a doctor in Texas not able to take care of someone in Alabama? It, it seems ludicrous, right? That the state line is some border to healthcare. So that's certainly, and it's not just the U.S. It's a, it's a national. It's it's a problem in a lot of jurisdictions like Canada and over in Europe as well. So this is going to be something that's going to be very interesting for us to grapple with over the next few years. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, as you talk about things that we're looking at over the next few years, is there anything else that you would like to share with us about what do you see as the future of health IT? What should <laughs> be, we be looking at right now? What do you think? Um, is it promising? Tell us something good about the future. Sure, sure. I mean, one of the one of the technologies that I think is going to happen over the next three to five years is definitely voice-enabled electronic health records, which I'm sure physicians would love, where they can just talk to the patient. They don't have to sit at a keyboard anymore. They don't have to at night type things in you know exactly they, they're just going to be able to speak and an ambient voice is going to pick up the, what they're saying be able to enter it properly code it properly have it go off to the insurance company properly and that'll be a wonderful improvement over what we have today right. where it's a lot of keyboard entry right. um, and I think patients will love it too because that just means that the data is going in accurately and Anyway, that'll make for a wonderful uh, visit and a wonderful improvement in the patient experience. So I'm excited for that technology, and we're starting to see that now with some of the improvements that Microsoft is making and Nuance is making, and you know, hopefully it'll get here uh, sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's wonderful. I think that's so important. And yeah, again, like you know, with you and your physician, that that computer screen just kind of blocking that com- conversation, that communication. Hopefully, we'll be able to make some changes to that. Absolutely. And the other thing that I would love to see. I think every patient would see, especially those with uh, with chronic, multiple chronic conditions and have to go see multiple specialists or someone with a rare disease. You know, is this? Can we finally solve this interoperability problem that we have, right? Where patient records don't flow with the patient very very well, or that you have to sign into 16 different portals to get all your information, right? I don't know if we're going to solve this in five years, but I certainly hope that in five years' time we're making meaningful progress towards this. Government policy will help, incentives will help, but really, I think finally, technology companies are realizing this is a problem and they're now baking in interoperability a little bit more into the design of their solutions, which is encouraging. Right, yeah, we've got a long way to go with interoperability, but every step counts. <laughs> exactly, exactly. In that process. All right, Colin, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, April, thanks a lot for having me on the program. Really appreciate it. Thank you.